0: Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I am your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Welcome to this third episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you all joining us today. Not only is this the third episode of the podcast, but this is also the third episode of our current series on the topic of angels, demons, and Satan. And for the sake of review, or for those that are joining us for, for the first time in this episode, last week or last episode, we introduced the topic of demons, or specifically the sinister and evil side of the spiritual realm. We're going to save Satan and and talking about Satan for the, the next episode, which will probably be the final episode in this series. But last episode, we talked about demons. And in this episode, we will also talk about demons as kind of a part two to our discussion on demons. The way that we've been approaching this topic is we have been Outlining, or we, we could say we, we began by talking about the first major angelic rebellion against God that is recorded in scripture following Satan's own rebellion. And this was the sons of God incident in Genesis 6 with the daughters of men and the Nephilim who were the offspring of the sons of God and daughters of men. In addition to talking about the Nephilim and that first angelic rebellion and its uh, consequences for those angels involved in that rebellion, we also talked about the demonic and unclean spirits that Jesus and his disciples often encountered in the Gospels and the book of Acts and the spirits that they themselves cast out of of many people and we also concluded and talked about our as Christians, our relationship and our interaction with with those demonic and unclean spirits. Well, in, in this episode, we're going to continue talking about demons. And specifically, we are going to talk about a second major angelic rebellion that is alluded to in Scripture. And then we're going to talk about its consequences as well. Now, the second major angelic rebellion that we're going to be talking about ultimately gets its start back at the Tower of Babel incident recorded in Genesis 11. This is the incident where mankind, working as one people with one language, collaborated together to rebel against God by building this Tower of Babel. And this building of the Tower of Babel is what led God to divide the nations, divide their languages, confuse their languages, and ultimately spread them the nations, that is, over the face of the earth. Now, if you're reading through Genesis 11, and I just gave a very brief summary of that event, you will not find a clear connection to angels or or demons. However, what we find out from, from Scripture later on, as Scripture progresses and more revelation is given, what we find out is there is more behind the scenes than is recorded in Genesis 11. There's more going on behind the scenes of when God is dividing the nations and spreading the nations over the face of the earth. And what scripture reveals to us is that when God did this, when he confused the languages and divided the nations, that God actually placed the nations under the dominion of angelic rulers but Israel or the descendants or specifically the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob scripture reveals that God kept them those descendants under his dominion as a people under his direct care and as a people that are his own special possession But where we get more of this background of this Tower of Babel incident or this this division of the nations and where we start to learn that God placed the nations under the control and dominion of angels is in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you go to Deuteronomy, we see this very clearly in Deuteronomy 32. And for today, we're going to look at verses 7 to 9. And I think you can maybe make an argument that Deuteronomy 4 perhaps also alludes to this event, but but here in Deuteronomy 32, it is it is even more clear. And again, this is verses 7 to 9, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And the English Standard Version reads, starting in verse 7, "'Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations.' Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Now, depending on the translation you're, you're reading, some translations instead of sons of God read sons of Israel. And, and we can spend, I mean, we really, we could spend an entire episode just talking about the differences between the English translations and and why, but I would argue, and I think a strong argument could, could be made, that the English Standard Version and those that follow the English Standard Version are correct when they translate sons of God. And as was mentioned in the previous episode, and, and even in the first episode This series, Sons of God, is a title in the Old Testament that is a specific reference to angels. And what Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 to 9, is teaching us, what it is telling us is that when God divided mankind and fixed the borders of the peoples following the Tower of Babel incident, that when He did this, He placed those nations under the control of the sons of God or the angels. That's what he's saying when he says the pe- that he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But as it says in verse nine, the Lord's portion is his people, Israel, Jacob, his allotted heritage. In fact, later on in, in the book of Daniel and even What's alluded to in the the New Testament letter of Jude is that God actually placed the archangel Michael as Israel's guardian and protector. Now, we won't explore that too much in depth. I think we briefly mentioned uh, Michael's role as Israel's protector in our first episode on angels, but that is what Scripture teaches us. Now, how this all ties into our topic on demons is that additional scripture reveals beyond Deuteronomy 32 that at some point, and and scripture doesn't tell us when, but at some point after the division of mankind and and after the time that God placed the nations under the control of these angelic rulers, that at some point these angelic rulers of the nations rebelled against God. And, And likely they did so... Due to the influence of Satan. But where we see our first indication of this, if we're following Scripture chronologically, as as scripture is revealing its as, as scripture is revealing itself chronologically, where we see an allusion to these angelic rulers rebelling against God is in Psalm 82. And so we're going to read the entire Psalm. I believe, eight verses. And we are going to see the allusion to this angelic rebellion. So in Psalm 82, and again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is in verse 1. It reads, God has taken his place in the divine counsel. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth. For you shall inherit all the nations. So here in in, in Psalm eighty two, we see clear references to angelic beings, this divine council, God standing taking his place in the midst of God's. Uh, he says in verse six, "You are God's sons of the Most High. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die." So we see even from verse six and seven that this is a clear reference to angelic beings, and, and evidently from this psalm, God is standing in judgment against these angelic beings because they are judging and ruling unjustly. They are not judging according to God's will. They're not giving justice to the weak and the fatherless. They're not maintaining the right of the afflicted. Instead, they are favoring the wicked. They're elevating Wicked, and as a result, they stand condemned by God. So this is maybe our first allusion to these angelic rulers that, that are rebelling against God. But admittingly, if all we had with Deuteron- was Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82, you still maybe wouldn't have a clear picture of, of or a full picture of angelic rulers that are over the nations. But When we get to the prophet of Daniel, and Daniel chronologically does come after both Deuteronomy and the Psalms, we see clearly, undeniably, explicitly that there are angels who are in charge of human empires and human kingdoms. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Daniel, we're going to look in Daniel 10, specifically Daniel chapter 10, And we're going to see in several portions of Daniel 10 the fact that there are angels in charge of human kingdoms. So I'm looking here in my Bible at verse 12 of Daniel chapter 10, and again reading from the English Standard Version. And here it reads in verse 12, and this is Daniel speaking about a vision that he had seen. He says, Then he said to me, and really maybe let me give you some context At this point in Daniel 10 the an angel an, an angelic messenger has come to Daniel to deliver a, a response from God to Daniel's prayer in the previous chapter in, Jan, in Daniel chapter 10 or Daniel, I'm sorry Jan, Daniel chapter 9 so here in Jan, Daniel chapter 10 this angelic messenger has come to Daniel And here Daniel is recording what this messenger said to him, starting here in verse 12. So Daniel writes, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Then he said, and this is now down in verse 20, so I'm skipping a few verses, but here Daniel writes again, then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael your prince. So what you see if you if you study the book of Daniel that the major empires human empires who who ultimately stand opposed to God and his in his plan and in his people Israel that these empires are ruled by these angelic princes or rulers prince is just another title for for a ruler, and here this angelic messenger, arguably the the angel Gabriel, is is coming to Daniel, but he's telling Daniel, look, I I've I've been trying to come to you, but I've been res- resisted for twenty one days by the prince of the kingdom of Persia, but then he references Michael, the archangel and the protector of Israel, that Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help him against the the prince and the kings of Persia. And then he also makes this reference to the prince of Greece who's going to come and ultimately uh, fight against the, the prince of Persia and conquer the prince of Persia and, and become the dominant angelic ruler and, and angelic, um, or you could say, the, the dominant empire in the world. And so, what you see in the book of Daniel, and I know, I know, for many of you listening, then this this may not be something that that you've heard before. But what Daniel teaches, and I'm not alone in, in teaching this, many many uh, conservative evangelical scholars um, recognize the interpretation I'm giving you as well. But what you see in Daniel is that while human kingdoms are ruled by a a human king, like. King Nebuchadnezzar, who is over Babylon. Ultimately, it is these angelic rulers that have ultimate control and authority. And they, in turn, influence and control the human leaders that are underneath them. Now, on just a side note, which is kind of interesting, and I I spent a lot of time in my schooling studying the book of Daniel. I actually did my, my thesis on a chapter of the book in Daniel. And just on a kind of interesting side note, um, I think you could argue that the United States and all Western civilization likely falls under the authority of the Prince of Greece. And I would also argue, according to Daniel's uh, scheme and timeline that he gives, that the Prince of Greece or the Prince of Western civilization is still the dominant angelic ruler in the world today. Um, The Prince of Persia was the dominant ruler before the Prince of Greece. But then when Alexander the Great came and conquered the Persian Empire, the Prince of Greece, according to Daniel's scheme, uh, essentially took over as the dominant power in the world. But that's a side issue. Uh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with that. But one thing I can say is that although there are these angelic rulers who control and rule the nations like Daniel 10 shows us and like Psalm 82 uh, hint at, and also like Deuteronomy 32 allude to, that although these angelic rulers control the nations, ultimately all of these angelic rulers fall under the authority and influence of Satan. So Satan is like the supreme general with his angelic lieutenants that are in turn, directly over and controlling the human nations. And, and the reason I say that these angelic rulers of the nations fall under the authority and influence of Satan is we have verses like 1 John 5, 19, which, which says, and I'm just I'm reading here uh, from my Bible, it says in 1 John 5, verse 19, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, or Satan. And what John is saying there in that passage is that the whole world system, the the human governments, the human institutions that make up the world, and and here it's the world opposed to the kingdom of God, that this current world, the current human power dynamic, the, the, the human institutions and kingdoms that dominate the world, that these lie under the power of the evil one. And and uh, in fact, another verse in the New Testament actually refers one of the titles that Satan has that we'll probably explore a little bit more in our next lesson is that Satan is actually at one point called the God of this world, a so lowercase g God of this world. And so what we see, just to kind of summarize to this point, when we take Deuteronomy 32, arguably Deuteronomy 4 as well, but specifically Deuteronomy 32, when we take Psalm 82, and then when we take Daniel, specifically Daniel chapter 10, we find that the whole world system, all of the major human empires, human kingdoms, the nations that were divided after the Tower of Babel incident, that they were placed under these angelic rulers, these angelic princes, who at some point after that, fell under the influence and control of Satan and who now, even to this day, oppose God and his people. Now, what does this have to do with with us today? What are the implications of this? How does this relate to us as Christians? Well, what we find, especially in the New Testament, is as a result of this this second angelic rebellion or this, this fact that the nations of the world have been placed under the control of angels who later rebelled against God and have fallen under the ultimate control and authority of Satan, that our primary spiritual battle as Christians and as a church is ultimately against these wicked angelic rulers of the nations and by extension Satan who is the ultimate ruler of the nations. Our battle is not against unbelievers who are merely acting under the influence and control of these evil, sinister, and demonic forces. And where we see this very clearly in the New Testament is is in the, the letter of Ephesians. And... You may already been thinking about this passage as' I'm, I'm kind of talking about it, but but if not, we're going to be in Ephesians six, Ephesians chapter six verses 11 and 13, specifically. And here Paul is going to is going to state this clearly. So he says in verse 11, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers." against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So Paul here, again, he's stating clearly that as Christians, as a church, our primary spiritual battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against unbelievers. It's not against mere human beings. That our true battle, our true spiritual conflict, is with these rulers, these authorities who are over the nations, these cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil that Paul is talking about. And as Christians, we are to take up our whole armor of God in order to resist these spiritual powers. So, Paul alludes to these powers, these spiritual powers, and, and really any time, or at least most times that I can think of when Paul refers to authorities and rulers, rather than referring to human rulers and authorities, oftentimes Paul is referencing these angelic rulers and authorities. Now, what is Maybe we could we could phrase it like this: what is the outcome of this conflict? Or where, maybe this is even a better question: where does the church stand in this conflict against the angelic rulers of the nations? What's, what's the scoreboard, so to speak? Well, what we find in the Gospels and in the New Testament as well is that Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection signaled the beginning of the end for these angelic rulers. If you if you explore the crucifixion, we're going to look at a few passages. What we find is that Jesus when he came to earth as a man through the virgin birth, when he was crucified, when he and when he resurrected, in other words, when he completed his ministry, that was the event, that was the moment that God began retaking the nations for himself. It is the moment that God began, well really took away the the ultimate power that these angelic rulers have had over the nations. Not that he's completely taken away their power, but it's the beginning of their end. If you will look with me in Matthew 16, you'll you'll see you'll start to see it here. And we'll talk through several passages, but in the first one we'll look at is Matthew 16, verses 18 to 21. And this this passage may be familiar to a lot of you, but here in, in Matthew 16, verses 18 to 21, the scripture reads, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, and here verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So what's the significant about the, about this passage, or what's the significance about this passage? Well, we see here that Jesus, in the context of of referring to his crucifixion and resurrection, he's as he's beginning to tell the disciples and show his disciples that he must be crucified and resurrected. He is also telling the disciples that he is going to be giving them the the keys of heaven, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and that the gates of hell, or you really, we can even understand this, the dominion of Satan, the kingdom of Satan, shall not prevail against it. That the church, that the apostles and the church through them is going to have authority over, or not necessarily authority over, but they will have an authority that cannot be challenged or defeated by the the gates of hell or the kingdom of Satan. And this is all within the context of him beginning to tell his disciples about the crucifixion and resurrection. Now also in the Gospels we see, for example, in John 12, John 12 verses 31 to 32, And here in John 12, in verses 31 to 32, Jesus says, Now now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So here this is a clear reference being lifted up from the earth. This is Jesus referring to his crucifixion. And what he is saying is at this time, as his crucifixion is approaching, and and especially once he's lifted up from the earth in his crucifixion, the ruler of this world, or that is Satan, will be cast out, and, and Jesus will begin to draw all people to himself. Not just the nation of Israel, but all people to himself after he is crucified. The final verse that we'll look at in in relation to this in relation to this argument that the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the the beginning of the end of wicked angelic authority of the of the nations in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 specifically we see another reference to this concept so in Colossians 2 verse 13 it reads and this is Paul writing again In other words, what Paul is saying is that God, through the crucifixion, through the very thing that that made the forgiveness of trespasses possible, the very event that canceled the record of debt that stood between us and God, that through that event, God the Father disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. That through the crucifixion of his son, he disarmed the angelic rulers of the nations. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, we won't go there, but but Paul again references this event. And he actually says, and in, in the context there is different, but he actually makes a comment that had the rulers and authorities, had the angelic rulers, the, the, the spiritual forces of darkness, had they understood God's plan and intentions behind the crucifixion, they would not have gone along with it. They would not have caught of, of influenced and led the the whole movement to betray and crucify Jesus Christ. And we could explore that more, but but we can say that this crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the beginning of the end of the authority uh, uh, of these angelic rulers. And so what this means for the church, especially now that that the crucifixion has taken place and Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, well, now for the church, we have now been given this authority to, you could say, reconquer the nations from and take back the nations from the angelic rulers. If you'll look with me in in a really famous verse that outlines this, is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And here in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus mentions this. And it says here in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here it's clear. At this point, Jesus had been crucified. He had been resurrected. And now in his resurrected form, he's, he's appearing to his disciples and he's giving them this great commission. He's saying, look, all authority, the authority in heaven and on earth, the authority that did exist with Satan and his angelic rulers, all of that authority has been given to me by the Father. Go, therefore, as my church, and here I'm paraphrasing this, he's saying, therefore, as my church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, go into the nations and take back the subjects of the nations and make them subjects of the kingdom of God. Or, said another way, take the subjects of the kingdom of Satan and his angelic rulers and make them into subjects of the kingdom of God. Make them into the disciples of Jesus Christ, teaching them to observe all that Jesus Christ commanded. And the church can do this in the full confidence that Jesus now has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, maybe it should be qualified at this point that although Jesus has been given this authority and although the angelic rulers and Satan are unable to stop the growth of the church and the fulfillment of this great commission, it would be wrong to say that the angelic rulers of the nations have no power or that they have completely lost all of their influence over the nations of, of the earth. and, and, one sense we can just look out at the world we can listen to the news we can we can study current events and i think for many of us it it, it may it may be pretty obvious that satan and his angels still have a substantial amount of control and influence over human institutions and human governments in fact after the great commission in ephesians 6 1 John chapter 5, we see that Satan and his angelic rulers still do have power and authority and that we as a church are in active conflict with those, those rulers and those authorities. But the point I'm making here is that the angelic rulers of the nations do still have some power and control over the nations and their dominion is their complete dominion will not be completely destroyed or ended until Christ returns and establishes his physical kingdom on earth. So yes, Christ has dominion. Christ has authority in heaven and on earth, but Christ has not yet returned in his second coming and he's not yet established his earthly kingdom. Yes, the kingdom of heaven exists. We as 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 the church are members of this kingdom of heaven, we are citizens of this kingdom of heaven, but we are still awaiting the day when Christ will return and establish his physical kingdom on earth, where when you look out into the world, and Christ will truly be in control, and righteousness and peace will be the, the law of the land and will be dominant in that day. Now, I want to give some, some evidence to this. I don't want to just leave you with... And I don't want you just to, to take me at, at face value and just trust me because, because I said it. I want to give you some evidence that these angelic rulers still have some measure of, of dominion until Christ returns. And, and where we see that is going back again to the book of Daniel. So the book of Daniel... If you have that footnoted, I'll give you a little bit of time to to turn there. But in the book of Daniel, in in chapters 2 and 7, we see references to a future time when the the kingdoms of men, which are ultimately under the control of these wicked, um, satanic, angelic rulers, that there will be a future time when their authority is completely taken away. So our first passage we're going to be looking at is Daniel 2, verses 44 to 45. And, and here I'm back in my New American Standard Bible. And it reads in verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it, it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to, known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now what's going on here in, in Daniel 2, if, if you are familiar with this passage, is this is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar's King Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the the statue of the man with the different... Um, the gold, the bronze, the silver, and the iron. And and what you find in this vision is that this statue of all these different metals, they it, this statue represents all of the major kingdoms that are going to come to power that ultimately represent the satanic and demonic world order. And what it's saying here in Daniel 2 verses 44 to 45 is that in the time of the end, when Christ returns, the kingdom of God, a kingdom not created by man or, or by the hands of man, that this kingdom is going to come and destroy the kingdoms of men and their dominion. And, and at that point, the kingdom of God will be established and never be destroyed or removed. Now, in, additional, in addition to Daniel 2, we have in Daniel 7, and I'm going to be reading two verses from there, Daniel 7, verses 11 to 12. And here, uh, Daniel is describing another vision that, that is related to the vision in Daniel 2. But here in verse 11, he says, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the bur- and given to the burning fire. And in this, verse 11 is specifically talking about the Antichrist and his kingdom. But it says here in verse 12, As for the rest of the beasts, which is a reference to the other three human kingdoms, the the uh, Babylonian, the Persian, and the Greek kingdoms, that for the rest of these kingdoms, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. So what this is telling us is that when Christ returns and he destroys the Antichrist and the kingdom of the Antichrist, the other kingdoms, their full dominion is going to be or their any dominion that they do have is going to be taken away even though for in a time they're, they're still going to remain to an extent. It says an extension of life was granted to them. But, but there at that point, when Christ returns and destroys the Antichrist, the dominion of the other human kingdoms will be completely taken away. At that time, only the kingdom of God and Christ as the king of that kingdom will rule over the earth. So just to summarize up to this point, angelic rulers were placed over the nations following the Tower of Babel incident. But at some point after that incident and after they were given authority over the nations, these angelic rulers fell under the influence and control of Satan. And to this day, these angelic rulers are in constant opposition to God and his people. However, when Christ came the first time, in the incarnation and when he was specifically crucified and resurrected Jesus disarmed the the power and authority of these of these angelic rulers specifically their authority as it regards the church and the church's ability to fulfill the great commission there's nothing these angelic rulers or satan can do to stop the spread of the gospel and the spread of the church. No, how, no matter how many, how much they persecute the church. No, no matter how many Christians they kill, they will never. The gates of hell will never prevail against the kingdom of heaven and the church. So, what does this mean as we as we kind of come to a conclusion and, and summarize our lesson today? What does this mean for our, for us Christians? How do we apply this worldview? Well, we could say a few things, and maybe we'll say this. First, as Christians, we need to, in a sense, open our eyes to the fact of what Paul says in Ephesians 6, that our struggle in this world is not ultimately against human beings. That we live in a world of human kingdoms and human institutions that ultimately are under the power and control of Satan and his angelic lieutenants, his angelic rulers, that we are not in a friendly world. We, are not, we do not live in a world that is on the side of God and his people. And, and even I'm even thinking of, of Brother Glenn's preaching here at, here at East Memorial. He has said multiple times in his sermons that when it comes to the world or the people of this world— you're, you're either serving two masters. You're either serving God and you're in his church and you're, you're a citizen of his kingdom or you are a citizen of Satan's kingdom and you are under the influence of Satan and his angelic rulers. So we as Christians, we have to understand this, that we are not in a friendly world That the human institutions around us, whether that's in the universities, the human governments, all of the human authorities in the world, they are not our friends. They ultimately are under the control and influence of angelic, satanic, spiritual forces, evil angelic forces that control the kingdoms of men. However, again, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse. Another implication of this is that based on what we see in the New Testament, we as a church cannot be conquered or stopped by these angelic rulers. So as a result of that, we can have the confidence that we can go and fulfill the Great Commission as faithful servants of Christ and we will, we will have success in that mission. Not because of any power within ourselves, but because, as we might recall in the Great Commission, as Christ said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him, that is Jesus Christ. And as his people and as his church, we are able to have success in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And finally, another big takeaway and application from this is that we as a church— should adopt the mindset and the view that the Great Commission is ultimately our primary weapon in this spiritual battle that we we face. That, yes, individually, Paul calls us to take on the armor of God and to resist the schemes of of individuals as individual Christians, but as a church, as a collective body of Christians, the Great Commission and the fulfillment of the Great Commission— is the primary way in which we as a church wage spiritual warfare. And again, because we belong to Christ and because authority has now been given to him, we can have success and victory in this spiritual warfare. So that is that is it for our lesson today and our discussion on demons in particular, in particular um, but next lesson we will we will conclude this series on angels, demons, and satan by talking about our our arch enemy, the, the chief enemy of the church and of God and his people, and that is Satan. So if you'll if you'll join us again in, in our next podcast, we will explore the topic of Satan and learn about him. Uh, Until next time, I pray that uh, God will, will be with you and that he will strengthen you and provide his grace to you. Until next time, take care.